Dear God, I thank you for all the trees that we have to breathe and everything you gave us for food. Thank you, God, for all the wonderful things you've done for our life. Thank you for guiding Joshua. Dear Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your love and your grace for us. God, Father we God, pray that we just ask that you be with the Google family as they navigate uh, what this means for Dear them. God, Lord, I just ask for the courage it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So we're in a study on prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. And we learned in week one that prayer isn't really measured by how polished or, or public our prayers are but rather by the authenticity of our prayers. Jesus said that prayer in a nutshell is this, real people talking to a very real God about real life. That's what he said it is. And then we even went a step further last week, kind of digging deeper when it comes to prayer, and he says when you start your prayers, when you address the God of the universe, here's how you're to start. You're to start with the words, our what? Father. You're to start with our Father to address that you have a God who wants to know you intimately, closely, to relate to you as his child. And Jesus didn't just teach this, he modeled it, right? Over 170 times in the Gospels, he keeps calling God Father, 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 Father. And the whole reason you and I have the kind of access we have to God, the whole reason why you can have the title of child of God and heir of God, it's not because of anything you and I have done. It's all because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Let me remind you of what that is. Galatians 4, 5 says this. God sent him, meaning Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. That was one time our status. At one time we were slaves to the law. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. So we go from slaves to children. And because we are his children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So not only do we need to remember that God is this loving, kind, good, gracious father, Jesus says, I want you to remember as well, that he is large and in charge. That's exactly what Jesus means when he says, you address your father, but you acknowledge that he is in heaven. You acknowledge him as father, acknowledging the love that he has for you, but you also acknowledge that he is in heaven, acknowledging how powerful he is. That he's not just a dad who wants to intimately relate to his children, he is the cosmic creator. Let me show you a picture here. This was taken from the Hubble Space Telescope, a very long-distance view of the universe. Do you know what all those glowing things are, the, the, the oranges and the yellows and the blues? Do you know what those are? Those are galaxies. Just like our Milky Way galaxy that's huge, and has billions of stars, what you're seeing there are galaxies that inside each of those glowing dots are billions of stars and multitudes of other planets. 
This is what God swipes across the universe just as the, the work of his fingers. The sky that we look at each every night is the, the very resume of God. And Jesus says, the same one who did all that, the same kind of power and might and majesty and creativity and, and largeness that we can't even begin to comprehend, that did that, that created that, that spoke that, he wants to be known by you and me as father. Here's why you need to hear that. Because some people have a father who wants to hear from their children. He wants to hear their problems. He wants to hear their concerns. Unfortunately, that father doesn't have the power or capacity to do anything about their problems. Some fathers are like this, however. They have the power and they have the capacity to help their children, but they don't care about their children. They're not in relationship with their children. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, church, listen, you've got the best of both worlds because you've got a father and he's in heaven. Nothing is beyond his power. And when Jesus talks about God being in heaven and saying that's how we are to address him, what he's not saying is, this is where God lives, this is his address, just so you're aware of that. No. What he's insinuating here is the power, might, majesty, and authority that goes with a God who exists above this created world. A God who knows no limitations. A God who knows no barriers. A God who has complete, 100% absolute authority to do whatever he wants. This is why the psalmist says this in Psalm 115.3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Let me tell you what, folks. Do you know why we need to remember that? That God is large and in charge? Because this is what energizes our prayers. When we get beat down in this world, and we will beat down, we need a perspective of a God who exists beyond this world. A God who is a greater reality than my present physical and circumstantial surroundings. There's a God who transcends all that, can come into that, and change all of that if he so desires. And listen, when that vision of that kind of God diminishes, so will our hope. We have to keep in mind, Jesus says, that God reigns supremely over everything. Because sometimes when your heart is breaking, sometimes when your world is crumbling and your mind is just swirling, do you know what you and I need? We need a heavenly perspective. We need a cosmic vision of someone who's got everything under control, even though things in my life are out of control. We need that. Desperately. That's why the author of Hebrews says this. That you and I, we are to fix our focus on Jesus. Don't fix your focus on your pain. Don't fix your problem, focus on your problems. Don't fix your focus on any obstacles or anything that's in your way. You fix your focus on Jesus, the one who reigns supremely over your pain, over your problems, over any obstacles that may come your way. We have a family in our church who did just that. When pain and heartache 
and obstacles came knocking at their door. I want you to hear their story. I had to turn to God, and that's the first time in my life that I felt absolutely helpless. Um, I had to rely on God, and, and I'm telling you, when you pray full-heartedly, and you pray with all your soul and your might, and you believe that God is there and going to take care of you, things happen. When it's all said and done, your children are God's. You know, they belong to God, and, and that kind of helped us, you know, get through that. I'm Joe Gentilly. And I'm Holly Gentilly. We've been going to Bachelor Creek for about four, four and a half years. Um, and we're here to, to give our testimony about what we went through as a couple. We got married, what, six years ago? Close to six years. Yeah. And 2014. Um, you know, of course, you know, when you before you get married, you always talk about how many kids you're going to have. Well, you should talk about how many kids you're going to have or want. And... I mean, we talked about it yeah. and we were going to have kids. That was the plan. Yeah. She took a pregnancy test, and um, little did we know what a journey we'd be, we'd be in for. Um, a journey that we now know we had to go through for this, you know, to, to help others out. You know, before, and I, I'm just speaking for me, but I think we talked about this before. We knew, I think, going up there, something wasn't right. Sat in a room and, you know, she asked questions and gels the stomach up and, and, you know. She didn't say a word. I was just shocked. It was the hardest, probably one of the hardest things ever. You know what happens, but you don't ever think it's gonna happen to you. And you have no idea how hard it is. And we got to a point where we said, okay, we have to progress and spending money to try to have a baby or we can use that money for adoption. We decided to adopt. A week from our profile going live, one week, I get a call, I'll never forget. She says, hey, I'm pregnant. I said, oh boy, <laughs> you know, round three. And was, yeah, all the emotions came back of, you know, of the child, you know, the, the children, babies we lost and being there for Holly and, um, you know. And I remember sitting on my mower a few weeks later and she had a blood test drawn and she said, my levels are, have dropped almost to zero. She said, we're gonna miscarry. I'll never forget where I'm at on my mower, the exact yard I'm at. I couldn't cry, I couldn't yell, I couldn't do anything because I didn't have any emotions to give. But I remember asking God, I, I never never questioned God, never. I, I knew God could do whatever I asked of him to do, so I, I never questioned him. I said, God, I said, I know you can work miracles. I said, but will you? I probably said that 25 times, and all I started my mower, I said, will you do it? Came boldly before God, and I believed 110%, and I said, will you do it, Lord? Will you do it? 
will you do it? Will you do it? And Holly said, um, I called him. Well, I got a call from the doctor again. Um, probably within 30 minutes after I called him and told him that. And I'm like, well, the nurse is like, well, the doctor wants you to go get your blood drawn again. She just has a weird feeling about these numbers. I'm like, okay. So I called and I told him, did I tell you that? Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll never forget. She called me. She, and there was a different ring in her voice. And she said, my numbers are higher than ever within an hour. And I remember closing my eyes. Thank God, because it was from him. So on March 1st, 2019, our son came into the world, Giovanni Cole Gentili. He was eight pounds on the dot and 21 inches. And it was the most best day of our lives, <laughs> I would say. It was amazing. Can't describe it. Anybody who's a parent, you can't really explain real. it. Yeah, it doesn't seem real. You know, and everybody's got a story to tell, you know. That's our story, and we're proud. We're proud to say it's ours. We are. You know, doctors are a blessing, but they do not have the final word. Counselors, teachers, therapists, diagnosticians, they've got their own opinions, which can be helpful, but they don't have the last word because we have a God who's our Father and He is large and in charge. Amen? You see, sometimes things are not always as they seem. There's this great story from the Old Testament that illustrates this that I want to share with you right now. It involves the prophet Elisha. And the king of Aram wants to annihilate Elisha because Elisha is making things very, very difficult for him. So he takes all the collective forces of his empire and they go on a manhunt for one person, the prophet Elisha. And Elisha and his servant are staying in the, in the area of Dothan. One day, Elisha's servant gets up, steps out the front door, looks around, and lo and behold, all the armies of the Arameans are surrounding Dothan. Horses, chariots, soldiers, weapons, armor, everything for one reason. They have come to crush. And his servant freaks out. He panics and he's, he's sure that they're done for. And so the only thing he knows to do is to go to Elisha, the prophet, the prophet of God, and he says, what are we going to do? Look at what's going on around us. We are completely surrounded. And here's what Elisha says. He prays one simple prayer. And here's what his prayer is. Three words. God, show him. And immediately we read that the, the servant's eyes are opened up. And he sees on the hillside this massive angelic army with horses and chariots of fire. And they are positioned between Elisha and this onslaught of the Aramean army. And this servant, who was, who was once panic-stricken, fearful, is now calm, filled with peace and assurance. Why? Because he got that cosmic vision. He got that cosmic perspective of a father who is not just loving, but he's powerful and he is in charge. And when we pray... 
Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, you remember that same cosmic perspective of your father, that he reigns and rules over everything, because it's a game changer. Because each and every one of us are going to come across things in life, these strongholds, these armies, these diseases, these obstacles in life that seem so much bigger than any of us, and we feel like we pale in comparison to their strength. But Jesus says, you remember, you've got a father in heaven. And even though you might not see chariots, even though your eyes might not see the spiritual dimension of things going on, you remember that, that the mighty, the healing, the working hand of God is working in ways that you can't even begin to see, and you've got to trust in that. So Jesus says when you pray, you acknowledge that he's loving, but you acknowledge equally as well that he can do anything. That's what we mean when we say, our Father in heaven. We mean that he's cosmic. He knows all the stars. And he's Father. He knows the number of hairs on our head. Listen to Isaiah 46, 9. This is the Lord speaking. Here's what he says. Remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. Here's what God's saying. I'm in charge. When I say for something to happen, it happens. There is not one maverick rogue molecule in all the universe that when the creator speaks, it sticks its tongue out and says, you can't make me. Even the enemy of God acknowledges his supremacy and his lordship. When God curses that serpent in Genesis 3 and says from here on out, all the days of your life, you will writhe around on your belly and you will eat dust and my servant will crush your head. That serpent doesn't talk back and say, oh yeah, want to bet? Uh-uh. Even from the story of Job, we see how the enemy of God acknowledges he can't do anything that God doesn't first allow. He can only touch Job as much as God will allow him. Let me tell you why we need to hear this. This means that your life and my life is not just this series of random events that have no meaning. That everything that comes your way, everything that comes my way, has first been father-filtered. And let me tell you what that means. It means that God is on the throne when it's all sunshine and roses in your life and things are going great. And it means that God is on the throne when there's storms and there's waves and you're not sure how you're going to make it through. He's on the throne in both seasons, friends. This is particularly shown when we read the story of Christ, what Stan articulated so well in his communion, that hell took everything they had to throw at Jesus. Betrayal, arrest, crucifixion, pierced in the side, thrown in a hole, considered dead, and Jesus arose three days later, victorious as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and God's throne never wobbled an inch. That's how supreme 
He reigns. I want to share with you a story. Because I feel like I've been here and you've been here. It's a story I feel like that we can all relate to. It comes from the book of Acts chapter 12. Here's what's going on. King Herod has had both James and Peter arrested. James is beheaded. Peter is imprisoned. The church, not wanting to happen to Peter, the same thing that happened to James, starts praying fervently for Peter. And heaven intervenes. God actually hears the prayers of his church, sends an angel to the prison where Peter's at. The angel releases Peter. So the angel fetches Peter, but I, want you to miss, I don't want you to miss something. It was prayers. It was the people of God who prayed to their father who was large and in charge. It was their prayers that fetched the angel. So Peter's released. He goes to the home of the believers, knocks on the door. A servant girl named Rhoda answers the door. She's so shocked that it's Peter and so elated she doesn't even time to come in. She keeps him at the door. She runs and tells the people who are praying for Peter, hey, guess what? Peter's at the door. And they say, you're crazy. Peter's in prison. Now be quiet while we continue to pray for Peter. Do you see what I'm getting at? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt just so defined by your current situation, so resigned by your current situation, that you go through the motions of prayer, but you really don't believe heaven's going to intercede on your part? When you pray, prayer supposes that God is going to do something, friends. When you pray, you believe that your father not only loves you, but he's going to do something on your behalf. That's what Jesus meant when he said, our father who's in heaven. Now, again, let me be very, very candid, okay? I think that all of us are very much in love with the idea that God is in control of all the things around me, all the circumstances around me, the events around me, the details around me. We love that God is in control of all those things around me. What we're not so sure we want is God to be in charge of me. We want the power of God everywhere else in life, but we're just not sure we want the authority that he demands to have in my life to be in my life. In fact, have you ever noticed something? Have you ever noticed in your life how so much relational conflict all stems from the question a lot of times of who is it that's in charge? Have you noticed that? In business, whether or not a business thrives or whether it dives, a lot of times comes back to who's making the decisions, who's in charge. When there's conflict between parents and children and husbands and wives, a lot of it comes back to Who's in charge? Who's responsible for making the decisions of what is acceptable and unacceptable for this family? Who's responsible? We see it in our schools. We see it in churches. And it's a primary area of tension in our relationship with God. If we're just being candid this morning, again, some of us admit we love the idea 
of a God who is large and in charge. We're just not sure we want him to be in charge of me. Here's what I feel like we do sometimes. I feel like we treat God like this. He's on the shelf for a large part of our lives. And the only time we pull him down is when it's crisis time. God, I heard that they're going to be downsizing at work. And Lord, you know I need this job. You know I'm at an age where I can't get another job really easy. So God, please show up. Oh, thank you, God. You came. God, come through. Crisis diverted, right? So we put God back in. We close the lid. And we set him back on the shelf. Another crisis comes up. It's a medical crisis or a crisis of safety. God, you know what? My wife just got back from the doctor. They found a lump on her breast. They took a biopsy, Lord. They're going to they're gonna send it off and have it looked at to see if it's cancerous, Lord. Please show up. Oh, thank you, God. He came through. And we tuck God down, and we put him back in the box. And you know what I realized? You know when we don't take him down? When there's that temptation that's just ravaging my relationship with him, and I've got to get control of it, but now I'm just going to leave God up there on the box. When there's that area of obedience that I know God wants me to do, and it's hard, and I could really use his help, but I'm just going to leave him up there safe in the box. What about you? Do you find at times that God is just your go-to guy to avert a crisis? But outside of that, you really don't ever talk to him much. You get him off the shelf. Here's what I'm saying this morning, folks. To pray, our Father in heaven, is to invite the supreme God of everything, my creator, to be in charge of me. That's what it means to pray that prayer. And here's why this is so important. Listen to what it says in James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know what a righteous person is? It's somebody who's simply walking in step with God. They're walking in a way that's obedient to God. They're on the straight and the narrow. This is what Jesus wants me to do, so I'm going to do it. This is what God expects of me, so I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let anything divert me. I'm just walking the path that I know is pleasing to my heavenly Father. That's what a righteous person is in a nutshell, okay? And here's what James says. When a person lives their life in that kind of way, under the authority of heaven, with God reigning and ruling in their heart, that person's prayers unleashes the power of God in this world. That's powerful. And he gives us an example here. Listen to what he says. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. In other words, there wasn't anything so special about him. He put his pants on one leg at a time. He had his struggles. He wasn't perfect. He was just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Why? Because Elijah was a man who walked hand in hand with God. 
that the authority of the Father was evident in the way he lived his life and conducted himself. So when he prayed, God moved. Folks, if we want to see the power of God evident around us, then that means we have to live with the authority of God in us. That our daily prayer has to be what Jesus prayed. Not my will, but what? Yours be done. I'm going to walk in your footsteps. Not where my temptations are taking me, not where my disobedience is taking me, Lord. I'm going to walk in your footsteps. So listen to me. Because we as the people of Jesus are supposed to pray really big and bold prayers. Things that cannot happen and will not happen unless heaven itself responds. We're going to take a few minutes now and we're going to pray for a few things. I've got about six topics that I just want us to pray about right where we're at this morning. You can pray by yourself. You can grab the hand of your spouse and pray as a couple. If there's a little cluster of you and some of your friends around you, you can kind of get in a little group and pray about some of these things if you'd want. But just six things that we're going to petition our Father who loves us, who's in heaven, who can actually do what we ask him to do. We'll pray for about 45 seconds to a minute for each one of these. But here's the first thing I want us to pray for. I want us to pray for our nation. We are extremely divided. To say the word United States is almost a paradox when you look at the state of affairs. Pray this morning, if you would, that God would heal our nation and allow us as a people to be as we once were, that we could disagree with one another without being disagreeable. Let's pray that prayer right now, right where you're at. Let's pray. I know that the same devil who loves to bring down nations also loves to bring down homes. So I'm going to ask you to pray right now. If there's a family that you know in your life or a family in this church who you know is considering or preparing for divorce, that you will ask the God who reigns above in heaven, who can heal hearts, who can allow people to forgive that which they once thought was unforgivable, that you will allow him to fix marriages and to save a family. Pray now about that if you would.
I'd like you to pray something that Jesus prayed for. Right before he went to the cross, he prayed to his Father for you and for me and all the believers of the world. And here's what he prayed. I pray, Father, that they will be what? One. They'll be united in truth and united in mission. This was the great dream of Jesus, that his people would be one. Let's pray that that dream would be realized in his church. know as well that Jesus said he came for one reason to seek and to save that which was lost and he left us his church to be his body to be his hands his feet his heart his eyes and that we might pursue the same people that he pursued those people who were far from God so right now I'd like for us just to pray for someone you know in your life someone in your circle of influence someone you work with live close to associate with closely that they're lost they're without christ and without hope they don't know what it means to have god as father i ask that you pray for that person right now for you to think of one person in your life who your life is intersected with and this person feels like they're in a very hopeless situation they're ready to give up ready to throw in the towel whether it's with their marriage whether it's with their life there's some part of their life they just feel extremely hopeless and unless heaven itself answers they don't know what they're going to do I want us to pray for that person right now.
finally this morning, I just want you to pray for yourself. There might be some area of your life where you're just having a really hard time bringing it in submission to what God wants for you. Maybe a secret sin that you're struggling with. Um, Maybe it's forgiving somebody who's been very hurtful to you, abusive to you, or just really cause a lot of ill feelings in you towards them. Just pray right now for yourself, for your heart to reflect that of Christ. For forgiveness, obedience, the will of God to be fulfilled in you, whatever it is, just pray for yourself. Let's pray. Here in just a moment, our worship team is going to come back out on stage. And if you feel this is a continued time of prayer that you need right now, you've got a couple options. You can just stay and pray right where you're at. You can grab your spouse or some friends, and you can come up front and take your pleas to the Lord and have some other people from the church surround you. You can join us on the back porch where we can pray for you specifically in maybe a more private context this morning. I know that Holly and Joe... Uh, who you saw on the video this morning, they've made themselves available to be in the back porch to pray for those couples who might be struggling in the same way that they struggled for a season of their life and to pray that the Father in heaven will open up new opportunities for you when it comes to your desire to be a mom and dad. Maybe some of you this morning are ready to make the great prayer of confession. In Scripture, it's called calling on the name of the Lord. If that's your desire today, to know Jesus as friend, Savior, King, Messiah, everything that you need him to be, he can be for you. He just needs you to come and acknowledge him today. If that's your desire as well, just join us in the back porch on one of these two doors marked the back porch on my right and my left. Why don't you join me in a word of prayer now before we have our time of worship. Father, Creator, God, King. All these beautiful titles that we need, Lord. We need to know that you're loving and caring and tender to us as Father. And as your children who are so often powerless in a world that seems so um, big and scary, it's good to know, Lord, that you reign supremely. And that you can create and craft a reality for us So we're not defined by our physical and circumstantial surroundings, Lord. So thank you that you are God who is large and in charge. And not only do you have the power, you have the love for your children. So Lord, we acknowledge you as such this morning. And I pray that we continue in the spirit of prayer as we pray for those things, Lord, that we know will only happen if heaven itself intervenes and makes possible 
these things we pray about. So Lord, we leave them at your throne, acknowledging that you are good, loving, kind, and all-powerful, and that nothing is impossible to you. Heal our hearts, Lord. Use this time of worship as a way to move us closer to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.